yes, just with mutation, you can dial back the clocks of mitochondrial DNA and Y chromosome. But when you say, okay, it's mutation and God creates Adam and Eve differences, that fits it quite well yeah. and better than evolution does. Welcome, everybody, to the Engaged Truth Show. I'm Caleb Harrelson, your host, and I have with me Dr. Nathaniel Jensen joining us today um, here at the Creation Museum here in Kentucky. So super excited uh, to have you uh, joining me on the show. Dr. Jensen, how are you doing? Thank you for the opportunity. Yes, sir. It's, it's such a joy and an honor. Um, and if anyone hasn't heard, they need to know about his new book, Traced. And it's just excellent research going on. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited. I think uh, we were just talking um, that there's just such a high demand. Um, they're having to print more. Is that correct? We ran out of the first printing. And because of COVID-related delays, printer short, uh, paper shortages and such, the second printing should be in probably third week of June and then the third printing in August. So, uh, and I apologize, I'm all nasally because of sinus infection related issues. So <clears throat> it sounds weird. It's because it, it is weird. <laughs> well, we're, we're grateful to have you here with us today on the show. And um, I, if anyone's been following AIG the past couple of months, really past couple of years, um, you, we, you kind of, what, what's come up with Trace is the culmination of uh, lots of research, and you had replacing Darwin um, as well, and then so it's it's real exciting because I think you're having some confirmation of some models. Is that right? Yeah, Trace really represents the fulfillment of predictions mm. in replacing Darwin, which is also then a five years of research post replacing Darwin. Yeah, and especially a lot of research in the last two or three years. And it focuses as its primary tool. So the, the primary focus of the book is human history and the mm -hmm. genetics of human history and the specific question of the story of the peoples of human history that I never learned in school. Yeah. Which none of us could unless we had, well, either we could if we had historical records that yeah. for, for every common person on the street that could trace our ancestry back, which we don't, or you have DNA. And that field of science, of course, is recent. And the specific tool that I'm using, the male inherited DNA, the Y chromosome mm -hmm. from fathers to sons is all within the last five to 10 years, which is another reason I, I never learned it in school because this yeah. is the type of, this type of data was not available back then. And even if it was, I think we, there would still be a lot of confusion because the vast majority of science and historical research is within the mainstream framework, which is not going to get you the right answer because in this, in, in the apologetic point of the book, it's not the, primarily an apologetic sure, book, but sure. it has massive apologetic ramifications. Mm -hmm. The primary apologetic application, I guess, would be that this is all done with the 4,500-year timescale, and you can see real history pop out of the DNA-based family tree, mm. which you're not going to see that sort of thing in the mainstream timescale. And so creation science is uniquely positioned to answer questions and is answering questions yeah. that the mainstream community cannot and will not be able to do. And creation scientists are now taking the lead yeah. making sense of the world that we see, testing it against the history that we do know, exploring history that we don't, sections that are called prehistory, for example, pre-Columban Americas, yeah. uh, pre-written records, basically, because sure. either the, the records were there and lost or never written down or mm. destroyed. So many, so many conquering empires do that. So yeah. there's there's just a ton that comes out of that. Yeah, that's it's exciting. And so... You, you mentioned how it, the time, the biblical timeline fits so well. You're saying like 4,500 years that um, Babel on, or is that flood on? Or 
I mentioned 4,500 years thinking about Babel because sure. the tool we're using is why is again the father to son okay type of DNA, and if you think back to creation, there's in, in, the Y chromosome would be a single copy of the Y chromosome. Adam's okay. Y chromosome. Eve is XX, females are XX, males are XY, mm -hmm. basic biology. That somehow is now politically incorrect. <laughs> yeah. And the only way you get differences then is by copying errors post-fall, where Adam and Eve are reproducing and Adam's sperm cells are copying mm -hmm. the Y chromosome doing so perfectly, and we have a measurement of the rate today. Yeah. And these differences rise over time. Now, there's nothing special about the Y chromosome where you can say, oh, you know, that spot right there is a mutation. Mm -hmm. It's all comparative. I get your Y chromosome, I get my Y chromosome. We line them up, 99% of it is identical, yeah. and there's just a few spots, mismatch, mismatch, mm. and that's what you call a mutation. And to go pre-flood, pre-Noah's Y chromosome yeah. sequence, you would need something to compare to in the pre-flood world if you don't, they'll die. Yeah, yeah so hard. we can compare the three boys to one another, because they're going to have mutations that are different from Noah, but then you then you stop. So I'm taking as the, the beginning point for that Y chromosome tree. It's 4,500. I mean, okay, you could say Noah's birth is pre-flood. Okay, He's 500 sure. years old, 600 years old. Yeah. But um, in terms of the events that we can see, the first yeah, event then is the birth of the kids, which is technically pre-flood as well. Mm -hmm. But um, and, and, and the book itself goes through a range of dates, but it's roughly right. 4,500 years ago. Instead of creation itself, that's the big difference because we don't have these pre-flood sequences of the people who died to compare them to. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And so I've heard, I've heard you explain a lot recently that um, in this model is, in essence, if we get more data, would we be able to trace people back to one of Noah's sons? Is that right? Am I understanding that correctly? The data that we have currently okay. is sufficient, I would say, to go back to three sons of Noah. So any person who takes wow. a Y chromosome test yeah. or any male who takes a Y chromosome test, which, by the way, the, uh, the genetic testing company still cannot go woke in that sense. <laughs> yeah. They still have they to do science. Ask. Right. You, they yeah. still have to ask you when you're yeah. buying a Y chromosome test, are you, do you, do you have a Y chromosome? doesn't matter what you think you are. We can't test you. You'll like the result if you don't have one. Yeah. So anyone who takes a Y chromosome test and they get the result in theory now, and that's part of what's in this book, the last, uh, the last table in it, there's 235 color plates. So mm. tons of illustrations Yeah. to try to make it easier to follow. And the last table that covers four pages it's quite visible on the camera, but it says, you know, if this is your Y chromosome haplogroup, which is the technical term for your branch, mm. here's the son you come from, the biblical lineage, where's your early location, uh, some of the other history, because everyone's history is messy. Yeah. Every people group's history is, is messy, uh, it seems. And then which chapter to look at to read more about that specific history. Or we have a web portal that about 400 people have written into. Really? And it's, uh, you go to our homepage, answersingenesis.org. Or you can type it in. So answersgenesis.org slash go, G-O slash traced, mm -hmm. which is the title of the book. Yeah. And it, it's also in this book, it's a, it's a, it's an appendix A. The, the, the primary purpose of that webpage was to give some of the technical details. I tried to make this book as accessible for the average person. Where, but if there are nerds, how'd you get that? You can go to that website yeah. and find that yeah. supplemental. But, but also then, for people who've taken a test or they want to get some help with it, and probably half the people have written in roughly have been, I took a Y chromosome test, the result is this, it doesn't seem to match up with your book, and that's going to happen a lot just because the companies use different notations for oh, okay. uh, how they report results, and it takes me 10 seconds to convert it, so it's really easy, and I like doing it uh, 
but you can find out exactly which son of Noah you come from. And really, mm. what would be probably more accurate is every person probably comes from several sons, a couple of sons of, or three sons of Noah. Yeah. Simply because there's so much mixing in human yeah. history. That's point. Of, that's part of the point of the book. And the way you find this out is you mm. get more male relatives. So I've done my Y chromosome. Mm. We've had my mother's brother do his Y chromosome. We're hoping to get my dad's yeah. mother's brother or some of that side. It, and, and it's one of the standard genetic tests. Is there a certain yeah. one people need to do? Or? The the major genetic testing companies, many of them okay. will do it. Ancestry.com is probably one of the exceptions mm. just because they're, for whatever reason, they've chosen to only look at the DNA you get from a single parent, excuse me, they only look at, they're looking only at the DNA you get from both parents. Okay. 99% of your DNA is from both parents, so yeah. fine, you start there. Yeah. But this needs to be, for technical reasons, the male inherited Y chromosome, and so 23andMe does this. Last I checked, family tree DNA, mm. uh, CRI genetics, I think. So there's multiple options right now, because again, offers change, technical details change. So I always say you got to check with customer service just to confirm. Yeah, for sure. But 23andMe seems to get a pretty good detail on the Y chromosome mm. for the price that they offer, where you can take those results and for some of the major Western European branches, let's say, where we've got significant amount of detail and historical events associated with them, they'll give you all that. Whereas some yeah. of the cheap tests from the other places, or the you know the most basic, the cheapest, yeah. test, the yeah. basic test, they say, oh, this is just the major section or branch. Well, sure, nice to know, but not that helpful. Still can go back to certain set of Noah, but I want no more detail. If I can. Yeah, the more the more info, the better. Um, it, so people can basically help you with their your research by giving you their testing. Info. Yes, yes, and so That's awesome. Uh, there, there's actually, I should say, a couple different categories, a couple different purposes of that portal, and categories of volunteers that would be most useful for future research. First of all, whatever category you find yourself in, you'll write in. I'm happy to get all these. And sure. There's often surprises. People will yeah. write in saying, hey, "I got this result," and it, those are the most fun. And oftentimes can't contain the most uh, important historical information for those questions we get to answer. Mm. But if you're part of a, let's say you get a result and it's rare, usually this is a good sign this is going to be relevant historically. If you belong to um, a minority group, if you're part of a people group that's a minority group, mm -hmm. that's that's going to be likely. That's oftentimes where some of the key historical events to be uncovered still still lie. Yeah. What we have now, of course, is dominated by the winners of history, and plenty of those people have written in. I mean, I belong to a, a lineage in Western Europe that is 50, 75% of them. Mm, and many okay. people also belong to the same branch sure. and um, have written in, I should say, winners. <laughs> it's the winners in terms of who's, who's had the most sons. Yeah. What I yeah. say in the book, there's so numerically, right? Yeah. Sure. R1B is it looks like it came to Western Europe in the Middle Ages or into Europe in the Middle Ages. And probably don't, was done on the Balkans until the Ottomans pushed their last push into Hungary, and then mm -hmm. they fled and had more kids. Yep. And similar to what's going on right now in in Europe with the Middle East, Middle Eastern refugees, where there's there's no political takeover. Mm -hmm. It's not like Syrians are now running for election as the president of France and Germany. They are coming as Muslims, and mm -hmm. they're religious practices are simply such they have big families. Yeah. And sure. even secular demographers are saying given the low rates at which secular Europe, Caucasian Europe, tends to reproduce, which is almost below replacement levels. Yeah. You yeah. have that continue for a few generations. You have these Muslims come in and they reproduce and have lots of families. 
you can have a dramatic demographic switch in Europe mm. without any political events. It's simply these differential rates of reproduction that seems to be going on has been going on historically in Europe as well. But it's it's those groups. It's missionaries. Let's say you're working with an unreached mm, group, and I've yeah. had a couple write in. One from New Guinea. Uh, it's, it's, if you're Native American, we have a number of Native Americans write in because there's mm. some pretty big changes to how we understand pre-Columbian history that we already know, and there's yeah big questions left to solve. Wow. We've got a video on that if you just want to see the summary for free on our YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. A little traced playlist of about Great. six videos or so that'll, that'll give some previews and, and, and sneak previews of what's in the book. Uh, and so I've had a number of Native Americans, different Native American tribes, nations write in saying, uh, I'm interested in this. We don't have any context for this. I'm a Christian. I'm a creationist. Yeah. How can I participate? So it just, it's really open-ended at this point. Yeah. Because we're just at the early stages and I, I anticipate this will take me the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we still won't answer all the questions. So any, anytime you run across this video or you take a test, or you want to participate, answers in genesis.org slash go slash traced. Yeah. And you can enter name, email, it goes directly to my inbox and, and I respond to all these. That's, that's so exciting. And well, you're saying how massive this research is going to be. Uh, it's going to serve so many people. It's, it's exciting. And I, and I've heard you say that you found the Rosetta Stone of human DNA. Is that right? Is that how you're you're coining the, yeah. the concept, right? Yeah, we're marketing it as yeah. something really big. Yeah, and that, that can sound like an overstatement to say we we found the Rosetta Stone of human yeah. history. I'd like to say, and not because it's my research, but I think if you consider the implications, that description I think is appropriate. And and just to put it in context, what's the original Rosetta Stone? The, you know, the, the, yeah. the literal stone that was found. I think 35 miles from Alexandria, 1799, I think was the year. Mm -hmm. So at that time, no one can read hieroglyphics. They know that pyramids exist. You've got these massive ruins. You've got this magnificent civilization that people knew existed, but you're, you're missing this key window into the past what the Egyptians themselves said yeah. about their history. And so what was a big breakthrough, played a big role in this breakthrough was this stone that had hieroglyphics. It had demotic, Egyptian cursive, not demonic, but demotic. Yeah, yeah. And then Greek, so that people could read Greek at that time. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the finding that correlations between right. the two that cracked the code. And then now, okay, now what, and we can find out what they said about their history and the pharaohs. And so, well, this now is saying we've got a great new tool. It's not linguistic, it's a literal stone, but it's mm -hmm. this family tree for all of humanity. It's generation by generation. You can literally read them off. Shen, this on our facts, set all the way down to Genesis 10. <laughs> Excuse me, down to the, to the tips of the tree. I mean, I've, I've worked with Arabs now who've, who've entered their data, and um, wow. anyway, you can you, you can see some of these family relationships that don't fit the mainstream time scale, oh, that yeah. do fit the young Earth time scale, and um, this is not just a new window into Egypt's past. The yeah. question of Egypt is two chapters in this book. Ancient Egypt, can we yeah. find their descendants? But it's the whole globe, so yeah. here's, here's a tool to answer a question of peoples that, again, I personally didn't have an answer to for many years. In history class, we learn political and cultural and religious history. Yeah. And it's not just Egypt, but it's the whole globe. So this, to me, is a really big, monumental finding, and it's yeah. the creationists who are taking the lead. Yeah, us. praise God for that. That's awesome. All right. And then you mentioned there's some different anomalies. Like, um, I, I think the, the typical narrative is on the migration to North America. Is, is that, is, are you finding anything different with that, or how is that unfolding? Yes. One of the biggest findings I think that comes out of this research relates to the pre-Columbian Americas. And the mm -hmm. mainstream narrative is some band of Central Asians goes across the Bering Strait, okay. Alaska, yeah. 15,000 years ago, 
They rapidly spread throughout the Americas, North and Central and South America, and then sit there for 14,500 years until Europeans arrived with Columbus. Mm-hmm. Or Leif Erikson, if you want to go back a few centuries. Yeah, yeah. And even in mainstream science, some of that stereotypical narrative is being overturned. Where instead of, oh, these were tree-hugging, primitive natives in harmony with nature, and these big, bad Europeans came in and disrupted. No, mm-hmm. they were transforming their environment. I and mean, there's archaeological research saying 10% or more of the Amazon might be cultivated forest. Hmm. And this is not creationist thing, this is mainstream. In the yeah, ancient wow. literature, they're saying there were massive numbers of people here. So just for comparison's sake, in Europe, 1400, post-Black Death, estimated 60 million people. And that's around a ballpark. I mean, there's big debate still, but ballpark, sort of middle of the road estimate for the Americas in 1491. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of people. They're transforming their environment. But what they're not, what they haven't gone yet is that there have been multiple settlings. Oh. And what this also doesn't have as part of it, and what, what the mainstream narrative still communicates is a major disconnect with the history learning school. Hmm. What this research shows is there's been multiple settlings in the Americas before Columbus. Hmm. So one of the most recent was wow. a group of Central Asians, Mongolians, Siberians who came over probably about 1000 AD. This happens to be at the same time. Another group of Central Asians comes into Europe and gives rise to lineages like mine and hmm. Western Europeans. Yeah. So there's... There's there's an event that's anchored now in old world history. Yeah. The most dominant lineage in the Americas today came across about the 300s, 600s AD, which is one of the most exciting ones to me because that era, as it relates to Central Asia, is usually significant in accepted history. That's the Huns coming into Europe and overthrowing the Roman Empire. Yeah. The 200s or so is another Central Asian group, lesser known, the Shanbai coming and overthrowing the playing a role, I think, in the uh, downfall of the Han Dynasty, so sort of the Roman era equivalent in, mm-hmm. in Eastern Asia. So, and, and I should say here as well, mainstream history talks about this as the, the great wandering of pe- peoples, or the German oh, word, yeah. I think, the Volk So they're saying something's stirring in Asia, all these Central Asian peoples are on the move and on the march and leading to the downfall of these classic era civilizations. Is it any surprise then genetically we see another group coming across, perhaps the Bering Strait, yeah. into the Americas, and dispersing right around the time, the 600s AD in the Americas, when that one of the great cities of that day, Teotihuacan in Mexico, was violently overthrown. So there could be a cause-effect relationship mm, there. Yeah. And of course, a couple centuries later is the downfall of the Roman equivalent of the Americas, the Mayans. Yeah. Their civilization collapses. And before that, before the 300s, of course, the Mayans had existed, the Olmecs had existed archaeologically. We don't have their lineages yet. Mm. So that's part of the mystery still to be solved. Yeah. Uh, and I should add here as well, what's perhaps one of the most exciting aspects of this project is we can see indigenous accounts matching up almost point per point. Really? In this five chromosome tree, the Delaware awesome. Indians, the, yeah. the Lene Lenape, have a, supposedly have a written record, and I say supposedly, I'll explain it in a minute, called the uh, Wallam Olam. Well, some guy in 1995, I think, wrote his PhD thesis at Rutgers Anthropology, saying it was a forgery and got the Delaware Nation to disown it. And claim it was not authentic. This was, the, there's questions I still don't have answers to, but the, and the sure. provenance and all that sort of thing. But it, it at least goes back to the 1800s, early 1800s. Mm. If you take what's been published of that 
Delaware narrative, origins and migration narrative. Again, there's a very strong echo point for point in terms of sequence of events and timing, all these sorts of things in the Y chromosome tree. And so then you have to ask the question, well, what's the chance that some dude in the early 1800s is going to predict genetic discoveries 100, 200 years later? Yeah. Fat chance, I think. So there's a way this research returns to indigenous peoples, the histories that they have. The Choctaw and Chickasaw have an origins narrative that finds a pretty close echo in the tree. Wow. And there's there's more from Africa, from Asia. People say this is who we came from, and you find it oh, in the yeah. tree if you have the unearth time scale. So uh, part of what's already gotten going because again I've said there's there's an, there's some Native Americans who've written in, First Nations people who've written in. Uh, we want to discover this further. One of the first steps is what other origins narratives are out there that yeah. the mainstream community has neglected. Hmm. And and earlier, I think we're beginning to see some of these connections among these these native stories, which and, and I'm excited because like, here's the history I never learned in school. I mean, yeah. I learned practically next to nothing about Native American history. Mm-hmm. Yes, who the who the Europeans encountered, the practices and cultures that these people sure. had, but sure. what they were doing and who they came from, unaddressed, never learned. Big black box for me. So to to mm-hmm. finally begin to find out these answers and to say, okay, it's it's among these native communities themselves, but no one's written this down. Yeah, or it's no one's bothered to to collect all this. That's one of the biggest tasks, research tasks, I think, going forward. That I'm very excited about. In fact, yeah. it may not be me. It may just be, hey, we get a bunch of. Maybe it's a, a number of Christian creationists, Native Americans, who say we want to participate, and they get together, and compare their narratives, and and they discover what's going on. That that yeah. is ultimately the the biggest goal. I think that's the biggest pipe dream thing. All this is yeah, because this is a global history. To see people groups around the world say, "Ah, I see where this can go," they take ownership of it and run with it. That to me is probably the most ideal outcome in all this, is not? Yeah, absolutely. And one again, I, as I'm thinking about, it, I just thank you again for coming on because I know you're a busy man. You have a lot of interviews you're doing, and and as I'm thinking, like any way we can get this out there, we'll get more exposure to this excellent research and more people to jump on, Lord willing. Um, and, and helping out with the data um, gathering and so forth. Uh, and I, I think, isn't there, there's, there's kind of this um, this concept of maybe there's some, like, I think you've mentioned some of like this this lost people group that maybe we'll be able to uncover, like where are they at now um, when, we, when you do some more research, is that right? Yeah, I guess that speaks to a broader principle. Yeah. Where you have some unique circumstances in the Americas because mm. 60 million or so who were here, 90% of them died in the three centuries following the arrival of Europeans. Tragic element all this. And some of these questions may not be answerable because the lineages of those who were here before are gone. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But there's one way to find out. The the bigger principle, though, is because we've gone from globally 350 million people, roughly, in 1400 AD to now close to 8 billion that's a 20-fold increase, massive increase. Yeah. Or if you look backwards in time, today's population compared to 600 years ago, 600 years ago is 95% smaller. Or uh, to, to summarize, maybe a technical point, simple but technical point, in the sense of that once you grasp it, it's simple, but there's it's not well known. The branches on our family tree, global family tree, reflect population size. So mm-hmm. you've got nearly 8 billion branches on the tree today. You have to reduce it to 350 million, and you do that by connecting them. So oh. 95% of today's branches connect 
just six or eight years ago. Oh, wow. What that means is yeah, most of the branches today reflect recent history. Oh, okay. And so if you want to find out the ancient history, you've got to go looking for the rare lineages and such. Oh. And uh, so that's why people have a rare result or uh, something unusual. Maybe one of the key clues to sure. uncovering, well, what about this ancient people that we have yet to find their signature? Yeah. So the ancient Assyrians, the ancient Sumerians, like I said, the Mayans, the Olmecs, there's all sorts of ancient peoples you might read about in a book, in a textbook, for which we don't yet have their Y chromosome branch. Now, yet because 99% of the men alive today have yet to get, a, or have yet to have a published yeah. Y chromosome sequence. So I think it's out there. People watching may have it. I don't know if you've done a Y chromosome test, but you have the answer. I will after this interview. <laughs> you have the answer within you as to some of these yeah. ancient peoples. But, uh, that's that's in the background and to give a caution this whole math of 95% collapse or 95% reduction in branch numbers you and I have a 95% chance of having the same common ancestor mm, yeah. 600 years ago that's another ramification of this my wife and I have this 95% chance yeah uh, and me and any person watching all the things all, everything else being equal 95% chance same common yeah. ancestor so all this is in the background it you know, has obviously massive ramifications for our understand race and ethnicity sure, sure. When, when this sort of common ancestry shows up so quickly in the family tree wow yeah but uh that's also again I'm, since we're discussing the research side of things sure that's that's one of the biggest factors to consider and and why i say there's still so much left to be uncovered yeah it's really exciting and you know a lot of people like to say oh the the timeline and population growth as far as from flood to today um or even adam and eve with the mitochondrial Eve and Y chromosome Adam. Um, I guess the short answer to that, like, does the data show that that could fit within a biblical creation timeline and how? Yeah. So I'd say there's, there's three major genetic compartments. If you think about humans that are relevant to that question, you've got 99% of the DNA that you get from both parents. Sure. You've got the Y chromosome from dad. You've got mitochondrial DNA from mom. Men and women have mitochondrial DNA, but only mom passes it on so far, mm -hmm. as we know. But only males have this Y chromosome. The mitochondrial DNA and the Y chromosome, both of those are because they're inherited through one parent. Pretty much all the differences are, from a creationist perspective, we're in a sense forced to explain all these differences by mutation. Sure, right. And from what we've measured, how many mitochondrial differences between a mother and a daughter Y chromosome between a father and a son. Those measurements represent, you could say, the measurement of the ticks of the clock. Oh, the yeah. DNA clock, Y chromosome clock, how fast or slow does this change over time? And if you know that, and you also know how many how many Y chromosome differences exist in the world, how many mitochondrial differences exist in the world, yeah. you can then say, how long does it take to dial that clock back sure, to zero? Sure. And those data indicate Eve, 6,000 years ago, Noah, 4,500 wow. years ago. What about the rest of the DNA? Sure. Well, this is inherited from both parents, so I'm a, I'm a, you know, I look like a mix of my parents. My DNA will be a 50% on average from dad, 50% from mom. Mm. Same for you, same for anyone watching. Yeah. And so, there's something else to consider here. You have to go back to the beginning and say, okay, Adam is going to have two copies of his DNA. I mean, if you don't, you die. It's lethal. <laughs> yeah. One chromosome difference out of you know our our 46 is is bad. Kind of massive health consequences. So that's what I'm saying. Adam would have 46 chromosomes, two copies, 23 pairs. What would that DNA have looked like? And I think you can make 
theological arguments that say God yeah. would have created him with DNA differences from the start. Hmm. If he didn't, so God, Adam, uh, so I have, you know, two different versions of my DNA. Mm -hmm. It's not like dad codes for the, uh, dad's DNA codes for the right arm and mom's for the left. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's in a process we still don't fully understand. It's the two sets of information that their combination that leads to eye color and nose shape and ear shape and yeah. everything else. So I look like I'm a mix of two people. Mm -hmm. Would God have created Adam so that he looks like he's a mix of two people? Now that would be deceptive because God tells us exactly that he's created. Yeah. What I'm pointing out is what reproductive potential would oh, have okay. then if he's created with two different versions of DNA. If he's created with identical versions and Eve is made from a side and she's upgraded with the same versions as he is, so everything's the same, what that means practically then in technical terms is that Adam and Eve would have reproduced by cloning. Oh, yeah, that's a genetic point. cloning, wow. essentially, which is kind of weird to me. Yeah. And it makes much more sense to say, I think, Adam gets two different versions of his DNA, Eve does as well. And so when they reproduce them, they have the potential to produce every so-called race of people on yeah. this planet, to produce diversity immediately in the next generation. And I would also say, I think the genetic evidence that we have fits that. So sure. all three compartments, the male only, the female only, and then for both parents, all this fits going back to two people just like 6,000 years ago mm. when you consider the biology of it. Yes, just with mutation, you can dial back the clocks of mitochondrial DNA and Y chromosome. But when you say, okay, it's mutation and God creates Adam and Eve differences, that fits the data quite well yeah. and better than evolution does. Wow, that's incredible. And that seems like it's such a significant point that uh, we should hear about that more. What kind of pushback have you received on that point? The... The conclusions with respect, yeah. The, I'd say with respect to, there's, there's been two phases to it. The mitochondrial side and the data from DNA from both parents, I hit in replacing Darwin. Right. That's the data we had at that, that point mm -hmm. in time. And the evolutionary community largely ignored it. I did a debate on it. Actually, I did a debate on these types of data, two types of debates. One was before that book came out but I had some papers in print already and had contributed a book chapter to another book called Searching for Adam. Yeah. Terry Mortensen was the editor of that and so I mm -hmm. co-authored a chapter with another biologist, new creationist Jeff Tompkins. Oh yeah. From the Institute Excellent. for Creation Research. And uh, as a result of that was invited to a debate with Dennis Venema. Oh who was the yeah. Biologist at that time with or fellow with the Biologos. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Foundation of the Biologos group that was founded by Francis Collins, a theistic evolutionary organization. Mm -hmm. God used evolution, they'd say. And it was at Southeastern Theological Seminary. And I got to talk for two hours, and we got to talk for two hours, and there was a QA. They didn't call it a debate, really. I think it was a, it was a conversation, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd say Dennis Fenema didn't really engage the scientific points, and, and they tend not to. Their goal is simply to mm. be viewed as acceptable within the yeah. Christian community, and they just won't. I, the 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 things they do say in print are basically creationists or liars when it comes to science. I, I read that a lot. Yes, <laughs> which is amazing from an organization that prides itself and and calls as part of their distinctives humility and gracious dialogue towards those who disagree. Mm. That's what they want. That's the how the face they want to present. Yeah, when it comes to theological issues, sure, complete opposite when it comes to scientific ones. Yeah, the other debate I did was with a evolutionary biologist from Marshall University, Herman Mays. Mm. I don't know that he's got a public religious profession, 
think he grew up in a Christian home of some sort, but I don't know that he practices anything these days. And we did it online. Now, what I've put in print for quite some time now, and answer the question that why don't so different questions. Sure, sure. Why don't, why don't more professional scientists agree with this? And my answer is because they're not even aware of it. They are forbidden to learn about it in school. Yeah. And so you've got all these people growing up never hearing about the other side. And is it any surprise they all hold up evolution? Well, and you can't make this up. He was the, the debate was the book replacing Darwin. Yeah. Basically, right. please come and peer review it. Here's your chance. Right. Blow it up. Yeah. Poke all the holes you can. And he basically didn't read it. Wow. Which, in retrospect, was very explicable. He mm-hmm. had written a blog post several years prior, a lot of something like in defense of ridicule. Now, I, I picked this guy as a debate opponent because I thought he, he seemed, I think he'd done the debate with Kent Hovind, and he just seemed pretty oh, okay. even keeled. Okay. Some, 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 a, some evolutionists can get obnoxious, and you say, what's the whole point of this? No one learns. Sure, sure. Watch yeah. it. And he seemed pretty even keeled, so I thought he'd be a good, good guy to review this. Yeah. And he had written this blog post. I was reminded of or found out after the fact in defensive ridicule where he said, you know, it's, it's long past time to debate creation science. We should just make fun of it. And if you understand that background, it makes sense of what he did in debate, which was he tried to make the point Jensen is dumb. Mm. Doesn't know what he's talking about, but really didn't have any idea it was in the book. Wow. Set up straw mans to try to knock them down. And oh, goodness. So I feel like the, the debate was, again, uninformative. So even though he sure. was kept his composure and uh, in that sense would have made a good opponent, he had no interest in engaging any substance of the points. Or when he tried to, it was so misguided yeah. that uh, you, know, like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And I had this long, probably 12,000 word write-up after the fact. Sure. Say, okay, look, here's what happened. Here's what he said. Here's what critical. I think I remember opposite. seeing that online. Yeah. So, yeah. And there hasn't been much that's happened since. Uh, mm. He has also tried to review this book, so that sparked a fire for him to try to review everything Jensen says. Or okay. About, well, getting more exposure, that's one thing. So. And I will yeah. say the response to this book does seem to, you know, we're only a few weeks, a few months out from its yeah, release, and there's really been a number of evolutionary responses to it, so I feel like this has garnered more attention from them. Sure. Now, here's where it gets really good, and I say this best point for last. The specific responses that are put in been put in print, and I'll have a video out on this in the future, coming weeks or months, have been a great gift to creation science. So some of the major points they've tried to make are essentially, this book is wrong, the methods are wrong, because the textbook says otherwise. Oh, wow. So this is the culmination of 12 years of making predictions, testament, making predictions, testament, making predictions, testament. Anytime something comes up, well, let's do an experiment. I, you know, the credibility is on the line. You put predictions, I put predictions in this book yeah. to do even further research. We're doing further research. Yeah. And instead of saying, let's take the book's own way to test itself at face value and do it, they say, this can't be right because the book says otherwise. Hmm. Well, anyone bother to question whether the book might be wrong or we, should, we could test and evaluate the book's predictions that they're claiming, the evolutionary biology textbook? There's no, there's no concept of that. Yeah. Or uh, so-and-so said you're wrong. We talked to the authors of the paper, and you said you're wrong. I just laughed. Like, well, it's, it's just a faulty appeal to authority if that's the basis of your entire argument. And these are PhDs saying it. Yeah. I mean, they should know better that we don't do science because so-and-so said yeah, so. Yeah, exactly. You go to an experiment. You publish the data. That's science yeah, 101. Absolutely. And so, it, I mean, it's I say it's a gift because we've come full circle yeah. from 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. When the creationists are just insisting on their holy book, the Bible says it. 
we believe it that settles it end of discussion that's anti-science they'd say yeah uh and it's just your particular interpretation and whatever your high priest of interpretation yeah. and the evolutionists say but we're the ones doing science and so now you've got creationists saying no we want to do science we want to do experiments let's test and see if what the book says is true really my response all this is if my methods are wrong or this is wrong why is it working yeah but all the scientific success that's happening is recapitulating human history the history of human population growth and so yeah. on and so forth yeah and no but the book says so uh -huh. <laughs> So you're the guys with the holy book. You're the guys with the high priest who, if they say so, that settles it. No, none of none of you want to discuss data. Yeah, I, I could say that evolution's religion, and no one would believe me. But you're like acting like it now by saying there's dogmas that you can't question. When people yeah, make pronouncements, well. you have to accept what they say. No discussion of experiments, or no attempt to take up the the claims of the book with experiments. That's what's so. Uh, I don't know if it's funny or yeah, very ironic. It's 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 ironic. Yeah. It's, it's it's a gift in that sense, apologetically, because I'm oh, like, okay, sure. well, here's where we're at. I mean, we could be having a scientific discussion. You could try to scientifically refute this. Yeah. Instead, you're taking up a hard dogmatic stance, which hopefully clarifies for everyone observing where things are at. Sure. I guess it's sad. Yeah. No, or, I think it's huge the the see the inconsistency of their own presuppositions, and as you pointed out, it's it's. If we're being honest, it's like the high priest of, of Darwinism. Say we have a book, <laughs> and we're saying yeah. we have a book, but it's also confirmed in the data too. There's also plenty of uh, genes and missed this. I'm like, well, yeah. actually, I, you know, I wrote about that <laughs> two and a half years ago. For sure, that which For sure. is just you know, same song, fiftieth verse. If they don't pay attention to what we publish, yeah, they're never taught what we hold to. They don't keep up with what we. Well, and I, unfortunately, I think that's true, um, not just with unbelievers, but even a lot of mainstream apologists, they're not interacting with actual in-depth research by yourself or Snelling and many others, Dr. Armitage. Um, I, I talked with him when he was in El Paso. He's finding blood clots, have DIC, evidence of drowning in the yeah. dinosaur bones. And a lot of people, they're not going to read the material. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's fascinating. Now, uh, before I forget to ask, um, does... Does some of your research interact with the out of Africa hypothesis? Is there anything coming up from that, or um, as far as the evolutionary model yeah. of out of Africa? I guess I guess you could say indirectly, and perhaps in the future directly. Yeah. This model that I'm advancing, that I say makes great sense of science and is working and makes sensible predictions, it meets all these gold standards that evolutionists have been demanding of creationists for years. It reorients the whole tree mm. right now that the evolutionists have the tree oriented a certain way where all the african branches are the most ancient and so oh, here's okay. we came out of africa here's the first events and so forth the way i've oriented where i say hey no you can find no at the base of the tree and there's three boys and the genealogical structure and echo of genesis 10 down to shem shem's generation six and jockton and his sons and and, and sure. jockton's brother peleg and, and the line of abraham was like jacob all that you can see the fact that this model is working, and I'd say working better than evolution, is to me is indirect refutation of out of Africa. Yeah. I said in the future it might be direct because among the lines of evidence in support of this are these father-son mutation rate measurements. Okay. Simple experiments. You get dad's Y chromosome, you get son's Y chromosome, and you count the number of differences. Yeah. Straightforward. Not complicated, in, in, at least in theory. Those measurements have done almost exclusively, or as far as I'm no, they have been exclusively on men who are not African. Hmm. Now, why is this relevant? Okay, so you've got the evolutionary tree. It's oriented in Africa. 
And one of the consequences of doing all this is all the branches then end up terminating at the same spot. Hmm. The the implied prediction of this model, <clears throat> mainstream out of Africa model, is every lineage, every father son line in this whole tree mutates their DNA at the same rate, same rate over time, same okay. mutations per generation. The way I've reoriented the tree, which I think is the valid reorientation with no at the base and such, ends up making some of the African branches, some of them, very long. Which implies that there are some branches that mutate faster, some mutate slower. Mm. My best guess is there's some genetic factors behind it. Whatever the explanation is, here is a testable prediction. Yeah. That these branches either had faster mutation rates in the past, and some of the very long ones, the longest ones, may still have high mutation rates to this day. Mm. We can go out and test that. Hopefully, we will will be able to wow. test that. And one of the people who've written in belong to one of these longer branches. So, yeah. hope we can test it in your future. Exciting. If it turns out that these branches mutate faster, that would be a direct, strong refutation of this out of Africa idea. Because out sure. of Africa, the way they've drawn the tree implies constant mutation rates or identical mutation rates in all of these various lineages. Do they have to be consistent? Those that if you measure, so so they would say if you measure. Uh, father some mutation rate than some of these what I'm calling long branches should be the same oh. as these non-Africans over here that we've already measured. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, no, this will probably be a lot faster, That's twice as fast, three oh. times as fast, yeah. 10 times as fast, whatever the length of the branches compared to these down here. Sure. And so if there is a discrepancy between African lineages and non-African ones, this would be an, a, a direct confirmation of the predictions that I, so I put that in, sure. in this book. And again, it's, it's still future. No one's done this yet. Yeah. And I'm aware of not in the literature. And if we do indeed find that, this would be the opposite of what the evolutionary community mm. would expect. I don't know if they actually put such a prediction in print, which we have a whole other discussion of. If evolutionists are not putting these types of predictions in print, is it science by their own standards? And I'm doing putting predictions in yeah. print. Creation science is making predictions. And is science by their own standards? Right. So in that sense, if, if we get to that point and do that experiment, that may be a way to directly test the out-of-Africa yeah. idea and refute it if that's how yeah, that's exciting and of course they always want to throw up the is it peer-reviewed but it has to be by their own accepted standards too um i'm, I'm sure you get that kind of comment of well is your peer re- is your material peer-reviewed by them yes it's a it's that's a it's a common question and ultimately when it comes to the evolutionary community a circular argument mm. so Someone says, is your work peer-reviewed? I'd say, yes. It's reviewed by scientists with terminal degrees in the relevant fields. Yeah. Oh, but it's creationist, isn't it? I said, yes. Well, that's not true peer-reviewed. I said, well, who, who peer-reviews your papers? Creationists? No. <laughs> Only fellow evolutionists <laughs> review evolutionary papers. So, well, our evolutionists are better. By what standard? I, and, yeah. and, and really, that's where it gets circular, but it gets better than that. Because <laughs> in this specific case, with the Y chromosome, uh, and I talk about this in the book and in the published papers, we have documented evidence of evolutionists literally saying in print we're fitting facts to conclusions. Oh, wow. So two of the most relevant papers to the father's mutation rate that were based on high-quality data. There's a whole other backstory here we can turn into. Early studies were based on low-quality data that seemed to fit evolution. Then we had two mm. high-quality studies that didn't fit evolution. In one of the studies, they put in the supplemental materials. Uh, and I should back up and tell more of the context. This is uh, Carmen et al. This, Carmen is the first author. I said mm. the first author. 2015 study, they're looking at 323 men from around the globe. Mm. Just to understand the origin and, and history of humanity. And as a control to make sure their methods are working, they've got 
some father-son pairs or brother-brother pairs, you know, men of close genealogical relationship, about 30, 31 of these, as a check on their methods. And they say in the paper, when we measured the DNA differences, the Y chromosome differences among these 30 pairs, 31 pairs, the rate of change was 10 times higher than what we expected. Wow. So we created a filter to filter out data. So obviously, obviously this must be wrong was their point. Mm, it disagrees okay. with evolution. So we, they create a filter to filter out data that does not match until they can bring the number down closer to something that matches. They still didn't get it quite as close as they wanted to. Huh. But they're literally filtering out, filtering out data that doesn't match the expectations of evolution. Fortunately, in that paper, they gave you that the raw data for, you know, at step one, here's, how many muta- here's the mutation rate, but if we filter out this, then this is the mutation rate. So you can go back and say, well, let's just take an objective filter or, or take the raw data unfiltered by this evolutionary sure. standard. Yeah. And that's where you get the fast mutation rate that fits creation science. Wow. The other paper, and this is actually where you'll see some of the published criticisms. Uh, I'll let me get the backstory. This other paper, they're looking at 50, this is a 2017 Nature paper, looking okay. at 50 Danish families. Oh, okay. Uh, father, mother, offspring. Hmm. And of, the, of those families, 17 of the offspring were boys. Whatever the remainder is were daughters, then, I guess. So you've got 17 father-son pairs. But the purpose of the paper is is explicitly to measure mutation rates, not just the Y chromosome. Okay. So they measure it with exquisite detail the parent-offspring mutation rate for the 99% of our DNA that we get from both parents. And they talk about the single-letter mutation rate and the insertion and deletion, which is sort of the small chunks of DNA that change. Okay. The, 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 the bigger chunks that change. There's just no stone basically left unturned in this very meticulous study mutation rates. They talk about the Y chromosome. I think they talk about the big chunk mutation rate, the insertion deletion mutation rate, but not a word about the single letter mm. Y chromosome father's mutation rate. So it's, it's like they cover everything but this. Yeah. So first of all, the wow. silence is conspicuous. Second yeah. of all, some of the raw data slips through mm. in figure four, I think it was in the paper. It's a tree based yeah. on these, based on the men of the Y chromosome. And they've got a scale bar, so you can kind of visually extract off them the differences between fathers and sons, or take a guess at the fathers and sons. I just took the 17 most closely connected pairs. Yeah. And uh, again, it's a high mutation rate that fits, you know, with creation science. Well, now if you go online, you find these critics. Well, we emailed the authors, and they said you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> I'd laugh. Wow. Well, <laughs> number one, why didn't they publish it the first time? Secondly, why don't they publish it now? Yeah. Thirdly. Are they going to let the creationists peer review it? Yeah, that's or a good at point. least publish yeah. the data in a transparent way so yeah. we can know if there's some funny business like with this other paper. And fifthly, I can basically already refute it and say it's wrong because the model, or so, so excuse me, so if you take that, what I've inferred from their published data, the sure. stuff we can actually get access to, say, okay, the tree must be this old. That implies then, the testable prediction is you should be able to see the history of population growth in the tree. Already published that two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. In fact, the paper's titled something about testing the predictions. Oh, of okay. comes on clock. Yeah. The book is a further test of all this where you can say, can you read off human history? Yes, you can. Yeah. So, again, <laughs> you couldn't have published the data the first time. You could have published it the second time. The guy who emailed them won't even publish the full correspondence. He's like, no, that's private emails. I'm oh, just wow. getting selective quotes from this. Huh. And why not just all of the testable predictions from this. No, there's, there's no discussion of science it's, in this, oh. of doing experiments. It's, they said so, you're wrong. And I just I just have to chuckle. I'm like, well, 
but that's the best you got. This is a great way to show the world yeah. where the state of affairs are at. The creationists are doing science. The evolutionists are are insisting what on, on what so and so said so, as as the arbiter of a discussion. Wow. And and that again, that's a great gift because uh, if if that's where they want to dig in their heels, yeah, great. Now, now we know where we're at. One side's doing science, one side's not. Yeah. And it's them wow. themselves who are saying it and wow. insisting on it. That that's so fascinating. And I, I think it's important that we we challenge them and, and call them to the carpet that just point out, hey, look, this is what's going on. And I mean the show is called Engage Truth for a reason. We want people to engage with the truth um, of I believe the total total untruth of the biblical worldview and you know the data confirms that. I, I believe I you may remember his exact name. I remember reading a quote. I think it was from one of ICR's uh, Creation Basics that said, um, it was talking about the mutation rate as an evolutionist who said, why are we not dead several times over? Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of that quote before. Uh, yeah, I think it, I, vaguely, I think it has to do with probably John Sanford's work in the yeah. the 99% of our DNA where the evolutionary community is saying this is too fast. We're going to go extinct at some point. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. So, um one of the, the closing things I want to think about is, well, it really relates to the, the presuppositions of everyone when you're even teaching the, the data and whether you will allow the data to <laughs> lead you to the conclusion that's logically implied and so forth. Um, so, you know, we're thinking there's a lot of conversation in the country right now about education, uh, about students. And so we have parents attending meetings and so forth. Um, but I, I remember you talking about this on Doreen Virtue's um, uh, show and uh, this this topic about I believe how were you raised in a Christian school is that right or homeschooled or I was homeschooled through eighth grade okay and this is the 1980s early 90s in sure, Wisconsin sure. and my parents were sort of at the ground floor of getting things going at that point in Wisconsin homeschooling wise which is part of the reason I went <laughs> excuse me part of the reason I went off to a small Christian high school. So yeah, yeah. homeschool through eighth grade. And then the question was, if I go to high school and we're still early stage homeschool, will universities recognize a homeschool diploma, high school mm. diploma, homeschool high school diploma? Okay. Yeah. Because again, it, this is early stages. Yeah. Nobody knew the answer. That time, now we yeah. do. Yeah, and for sure. You know, it's, it's, it's respectable, acceptable, but that was part of the background too. Well, we probably, we probably should at least have part of the time, get a diploma from a recognized school there were three christian school options in the area only one was explicitly on earth creation and that was the one my parents picked partly i think for that reason and so i had a strong christian creationist upbringing again had gone to world Free weekend conferences oh yeah for sure in wisconsin and we had lots of creationist books and materials john morris or my notes from a can't have lecture yeah yeah and all that was i think hugely influential and critical to surviving then when I went off to secular university. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting. I remember you talking about before when um, there was a certain point where you realized, I'm going to have to really think through and test ideas um, compared to what I have understood and, and weigh those. Is that right? I, maybe that was more in university level. I'm trying to think back. I guess I think back to my upbringing and I feel like it was strong enough where once I got to university, and I lived at, I lived at home for my undergraduate, which I'm thankful oh, nice. for. Oh, nice. Yeah, a blessing. 
one summer being an exception, it was enough of exposure to say it make me even more grateful. <laughs> yeah. But um, part of the summer fellowship, scientific research fellowship on campus. Yeah. Anyway, but I can look back and say that the creationist training I had, which involved learning a lot of evolution. Sure made me comfortable enough in class where I feel like there was nothing that surprised me. Yeah, that's that, good. That, that, that to me is, I think, a key element because how many students will go off to class and wait, we never learned about this. What mm. do I do? You're, you're, it hits you like a ton of bricks and sure. now you're scrambling, not not only trying to learn the material to repeat on the test, but ah, here's an attack on my faith and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I haven't heard it. Whereas, I mean, I can tell the professor what the process of evolution is and how it huh. works and what he thinks the evidence is for it. And then why I think it's wrong. So that makes university, I think, much less tense. There are plenty of tense times because I sure. try to raise my hand and diplomatically express objections, which of course yeah. they weren't too happy about. <laughs> but that's yeah. a different sort of tension than my sure. own personal inner tension of, I don't know what to do with this. And I've never heard this before. And Ah, oh, is this is that something we have an answer to? Yeah. So that that background I think was critical, and I, that's my advice to every student. We have people who come by, and parents or grandparents or students themselves, saying, "What what do I do? What should they do? What should we be doing sure. to train them for college?" And my advice is, you have to have a very strong. You have to you have to know what you're gonna what you're gonna hear in class before you get there. Because mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great point. Uh, another thing too is. Expect to redouble. This is actually advice I've heard from somebody else. Yeah, who, who said, "You go to secular college, you're going to hear the secular worldview. So if you really, really want to hear the biblical side of things, you're going to have to read just as much outside of class, in addition to class, as for part of it, because it's all all secularized, regardless of the discipline. Yeah. You know, this is beyond just science. So that's key. Having a, a strong, supportive local church is critical. Sure. Uh, but back to this pre- preparedness idea. I get the sense in today's culture, there's just this push to, to graduate, get on, get through it, get fast, get done, get working. Sure. And the whole concept of, well, what about taking a year off just to get apologetics training? Oh, yeah, I'm in favor of that. You know, gap year or something. Yeah. That's viewed as bad. Mm. I actually don't think the admissions process at most universities cares. Really? I don't think it's yeah. viewed as a negative. In fact, once you get to medical school, there's so many people who apply who are cardboard cutouts or cookie cutter from the perspective of the med school, they're looking mm-hmm. for something unique or different. Yeah, you. So yeah, some guy sure. I think went to Saudi Arabia, one of my colleagues, got in, he said, I probably got in because I went to Saudi Arabia. Oh, really? Oh, I, I there you go. For apologetic purposes. Yeah. But it was something different. That's yeah. a part of the student. So being different in that sense, almost these days, seems like it's a plus. So mm-hmm. consider taking a year off. And we've got courses now. I was almost trying to reinvent the wheel and find out we already had this sort of program. Oh, yeah. We have online courses, which really can be completed as a high schooler. You think about how to use your summers. We've got... Here at AIG? Yeah, we've got six. I think if you go to the answers education section of our website or something, there's six, currently six courses, maybe more now. I might be even adding courses related to these. Oh, that'd be exciting. Yeah. But these are, this is just, doesn't matter if you're going into science or not. uh, Biblical apologetics, there's, you know, Bible and earth sciences, Bible and life science, or Bible and geology, Bible and astronomy, Bible and mm. biology, maybe. I'm probably butchering the titles, but my point is there's six of them. So if you do, let's say, two every summer, 
and they're not long courses. Sure. You can already get a great foundation before you ever go off to university. You may not need to take a gap year if you use your time wise as a high schooler. Yeah, yeah, so, that's a good point. And like I said, for me, thanks to my parents, that was built in to the curriculum of homeschool, built into the curriculum as a high schooler because they picked a school that sure. had that as a distinctive where they said, no, we're committed to this. We're not ambiguous on the age of the earth or mm-hmm. origins and evolution and creation and such. So all that played a huge role. And, and I'd read outside the class too, just because I found it interesting. Yeah. And then maybe because my dad was a dentist and my mom was a nurse before she had me. Yeah. There was already a, a science atmosphere perhaps sure. or at least a medicine sure. atmosphere at home but that is essential in the sense that I, I don't know how you can go off to college without having that sort of preparation yeah i think that's so valuable um just that advice very practical because um i, I don't know if you've seen dr lyle's recent articles talking about uh 90 of students they grow up um in a christian home yet go to secular education end up I'm graduating with an unbiblical worldview. And and it's interesting because I think I, I start thinking about, uh, and I'm not getting into that in this video about um, education choice. That's maybe a conversation at a time. But the, the what I am getting into is there does need to be a redoubling, like you said, of like um, you're, you have a preparedness of what's coming, but you also um, are redoubling on, you know, testing those ideas of here's what we learned and in, in comparing it with scripture and also good creation science. And I think some of those stats are showing that a lot of parents aren't doing that, if we're honest. They're not doing that redoubling, just hoping youth group is enough. And that's why I appreciate you saying, like, take that gap year or be in some program because I mean, that's a large reason why we started our ministry. I was a youth minister, and um, now we're trying to help youth ministries to, to help fill that gap. Um, where please teach your kids um, to go through the scripture and memorize it. They absolutely need to do it. Foundational, abide in the word. Um, but we want to help complement and strengthen the church and strengthen their faith to have that. And I'm not seeing that redoubling. And, and um, you know, other studies are say 4% have a biblical worldview, which complements that. And, and I go, what what's the point where people are going to go, you know, is enough. Um, so we're not only playing catch up that we're proactive. And yeah. so I appreciate your advice there. Yeah, and I know some parents are, well, we're going to send our kids to public school because they can be missionaries there, which, you know, I, I can see why people might do that. At the same time, even even high school and middle school themselves are battlegrounds. Yeah. So whatever a parent's grandparent choice is made, anytime you're in a secular public school setting, there's this constant barrage. Yeah. And if students aren't prepared for it, yeah. at whatever stage it is, that can be lethal yep. to their faith. And preparation is such a huge, I feel like a huge element of all this. I mean, yeah. we'd all be damned if it were not for God. And I can say it's my parents, but you know, it's ultimately the Lord's kind providence and yeah. grace and mercy. Uh, but there's also this great responsibility. God commands parents. To, to train their children. Yeah, and amen. Here's, here's your discipleship field. So be aware of the attacks that are ongoing that you may and may not see. Yeah. But I can say there's, and just one example, I remember um, watching, I think, the movie God's Not Dead. I don't remember which one. one Several now. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But I remember relatives saying, oh, that professor, that's such a caricature. I said, no. I said, I've been in college. That's not a caricature. It's aggressively anti-Christian. I, mm-hmm. I was in math class. I was in calculus class. Freshman year, I think, in college. And the professor just out of the blue one day starts, I mean, he's a pleasant guy, but out of the blue one day draws mm-hmm. a graph on the, on the board and tries to show the, the massive growth of knowledge with time. Oh, we don't need God, he says, turn around. Mm. <laughs> what are you doing? This is math class. Yeah, yeah. But I thought he had to get his stab at Christianity there while he right. had a chance. Oh, so yeah. don't underestimate, I guess, the back doors sure. secularists will exploit to try to undermine the faith of their students. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's so vital. I mean, Malachi says God desires godly offspring. So it's not merely of kids that just know the Lord and are saved. Obviously, we're not saved by um, faith plus um, certain views on things, but we want to disciple the mind <laughs> and, and we want to take captive every thought. And um, we look at that stat I quoted earlier. Well, we have a large number of Christian students graduating with the unbiblical worldview. Well, if the biblical worldview is total truth for all of reality, as Nancy Piercy unpacks, is then an unbiblical worldview is dangerous for society. We're seeing the fruits for that in our culture right now. So it's self-evident. We want them to be saved. We're saved by faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone. But, uh, you know, there's nothing we add to our salvation, but we want them to be discipled to obey all that he has commanded and and take captive every thought and every field of knowledge to the Lord Jesus. And and that's what you're doing with Trace. And I I pray and, and hope that more people will join and give you that data and, and others, maybe research assistants and um, and so forth. And, you know, I, I believe the Lord's going to bless it. You're doing excellent work, Dr. Jensen. And I, I appreciate your time today. It's it's a joy. This is my first time being here at the Creation Museum. I'll go to the Ark tomorrow. And um, it, it's it's truly a moment of worship going through here. And, and I'll tell you what, before we close out, too, those who are watching, I know sometimes I have evolutionists that come on. The, uh, they want to comment on the show. I, I, please read his book. Um, right, engage with the material. And also here at the Creation Museum, they actually have uh, what the evolutionists say and the biblical model. And you guys quote from the source. So I don't think it's straw mans you guys are putting up on the exhibits. I think they're very well done. And it's it's a blessing being here. So I'm going to go through multiple times and just soak it all in. So um, again, if you can maybe share a reminder where people can go to put information in for your research. Yeah, and I'll say it as well. If you're looking to purchase the book as of right now, Making this video, we are sold out of the first printing, but we're taking all sorts of back orders, pre orders, whatever you want to call it. So you can call into customer service and go to our website. You can go to Amazon. They're doing all sorts of pre orders. I'm surprised. I'm watching the Amazon rankings. I thought, you know, as soon as it's sold out, it's going to book, book sales are going to drop, but they've stayed up there. That's awesome. There's an ebook I can say now as well because I've already downloaded it. There is an audiobook coming, an enhanced audiobook. Again, the book itself is, um, is extremely visual. So there'll be this, the enhanced audiobook is basically, they had a professional author read the text and you can then have as a companion all these color plates as he references them in illustrations. And if you do want to participate in future research, uh, it's answersingenesis.org slash go slash trace. So it's the homepage and then you add on slash geo slash T-R-A-C-E-D, title of the book, you'll find that not just the supplemental materials, but if you scroll down on that page or click on the button that says the hidden history of every people project, it'll take you down to first name, last name, email, and then whatever message you want to put in, go straight to my email and uh, I'll respond to you that way. So special thanks to anyone who does. 
because it's been a it's it's been a lot of fun and I'm really excited about where this goes. It's yeah. just the beginning of hopefully a project that I'll get to do the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, praise God. We're grateful for you and the work you do here at Answers and Genesis. And I just want to tell our listeners, please like, subscribe, and share so more people can engage with the truth.